greetings. Um, most of you probably have never met me before. Um, my wife, Diane, is Laurel's sister. Uh, we're from about an hour north of Duluth in Virginia, Minnesota. Uh, we've been here before, but a uh, long time ago. As a matter of fact, the last time I spoke here, Al wasn't here either. So it's something about my preaching or whatever, I don't know. Um, my wife and I had spent uh, about 12 years over in Fiji in the South Pacific, working among the people there in the time past. But we've been up uh, working with the Ministry of Grace and Truth Bible Church in Virginia for the last uh, number of years. So if you'd open up your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1 for the scripture reading. And I'd like to begin reading in chapter 1. Beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in our wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that's necessary for us to properly worship you and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of you. I trust that we would see, even in today's message, that as we rely upon you and upon your word and the spirit of God that enables us to fulfill that word, we can walk in fellowship with you and we can be a light to this lost and dark world around us. So just bless your word this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. So we are actually going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And the reason I, I read in chapter 1 was because in the first three um, chapters of the book of Ephesians, we have a, a positional section, sharing all that we have in Christ. And if you notice when I was reading, it, so many times we saw in Christ, in him, uh, we're chosen in him, we're 
accepted in the beloved, we're redeemed because of what Christ has done for us. We're placed into the body of Christ the moment we get saved. And so the book of Ephesians is much like Joshua in the Old Testament. It's possessing your possessions. So Joshua entered into the promised land. The land was, was his, the, the nation of Israel's. God had promised to them, but they needed to step out. They needed to walk, and in every step that his foot claimed, they began to possess their possessions. And so when you read through the first three chapters of Ephesians, Get an idea of, of what God has provided for you. Um, it's called our positional truth. So if in verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So Theodore Epp tells us, therefore joins the doctrine of position with practice. But it must always be remembered that the doing results from the being. We don't put the cart before the horse. We have to understand who we are, what's been provided for us in Christ, and then utilize that in, in serving him. Our walk is to be based on all that we have in Christ. Therefore, we are to walk accordingly. We are to walk means to live, to conduct our lives worthy of our calling. So if you go back to verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul writes, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, they may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of, of his inheritance in the saints. So he called us. He called us to be um, out of the world to faith in Christ. He called us to be conformed to the image of Christ. He called us to um, receive all these blessings and then to utilize them in growing in grace in the life that he's called us to. So we who are in Christ should manifest Christ in our lives. It's not just enough to know doctrine. You know, a lot of people know a lot of Bible, but if they don't practice it, if they don't utilize it in their lives, then it has no spiritual value. Um, when we live by, um, by experience without doctrine, we have a, a tendency for wrong living based on emotions and feelings rather than the word of God. And as we see in, in Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And the result of that is being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That section started out with um, the fact that we get to know the Lord. And then as you begin to walk worthy, that understanding of him increases. Paul had said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And to walk worthy of the Lord, you see the scales there, it's that here we have our position, here we, who we are in Christ. And by the way, in Christ, you will never be more accepted than you are now. You'll never be any more loved than you are now. You'll never be more um, in a place where he can use you and, and develop you than you are right now because you have all that. Paul had seen himself seated in the heavenlies in Christ. And as God sees us, he sees Christ in us, the hope of glory. Okay? And so he wants us to, so to speak, have the rubber meet the road. Putting to use our um, understanding of the scriptures into action in our lives. So William MacDonald um, shares a personal testimony. A lot of people have a misconception about 
2 um, Corinthians 5.17. I think he explains it very well. Please allow me to illustrate how the distinction between standing, our position, and state, which is our practice, helped me to, through a difficult period in my life. When I was saved, I used to hear people quote 2 Corinthians 5.17 when they gave their testimony. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. They would tell of the wonderful transformation that had taken place in their lives. All the old things had passed away and all things had become new. I would sit there and think, I wish I could say that all the old things had passed away in my life and that all things had become new, but it wasn't so. I still had some of the old habits, some evil thoughts, displays of anger, and many other grave clothes from my pre-converted days. At times, I doubted my salvation. Then one day I noticed the phrase, in Christ, and my heart leaped with joy. I realized that the verse was talking about my position, not my practice. And of course, in Christ, it was all true. In him, all the old things had indeed passed away, condemnation, the dominion of Satan, the fear of death, and so forth. In him, everything was new. Forgiveness, acceptance, justification, sanctification, and a host of other blessings. From that time on, this verse has held no terror for me. I love it. And the knowledge of what I am in Christ makes me want to live for him as the Lord of my life. See, when I first trusted Christ as my Savior, I was set apart to him. That's our position, positional sanctification. Um, and then in my position, I, I cannot begin, as I stated already, more loved, forgiven, accepted. My position never changes. But as, as a child with a new nature, I'm growing to become more and more like my Savior. That's progressive sanctification. That's that worthy walk that, again, that you're, you're starting to um, become really what you are, to display what you are in your life and all that Christ has done. And then... So that's practical sanctification. Then one day when I'm called to glory to be with my Savior, I'll be eternally separated from sin. That's what we look forward to, eternal or ultimate sanctification. So in Ephesians 4.1 again, he states, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy. So Paul saw himself seated in the heavenlies because he saw himself from a positional perspective as God saw him and his mind was centered on things above and he knew that the Lord was with him and he knew even in his imprisonment because there he was in his physical geographical location but really our spiritual location has far more effect impact more of necessity than where we are geographically um, it was wonderful when we were overseas in Fiji we were with believers there. And it didn't matter where we were, if we were spiritually aligned to the word of God, enjoying fellowship and communion over the word of God, um, there was fellowship, real joy. So whether you're here in northern Wisconsin or northern Minnesota, um, really, are you walking with the Lord? Are you enjoying him? And, and Paul was in prison. Remember, he wrote the book of Philippians as well, which was a, a prison epistle. And that's a, a book about joy. And he counted things joy because even there, even confined, nothing can find the word of God. 
the word of God could not be bound. And actually, he said it, it worked out for the furtherance of the gospel from him being there because it emboldened other believers to start sharing Christ with those around him. Toward the end of his life, Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May I not be charged against them. The Lord is faithful. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, when Paul made this statement, he had already been in prison several times. He was awaiting the end of his life, execution. But his great concern was that the message of the gospel would go forth. And even though no one stood with him, it was a time when Nero was persecuting the church. It was an opportunity for those to come and, and, and in the preliminary hearings, come and testify on his behalf, and, and no one stood with him because they feared persecution for standing. It might mean their life. It might mean their jobs. And, you know, that might come to the United States sooner than we think. But when we know who we are in Christ, we know what our future holds. We can be like the Apostle Paul. And, um, just like Shadrach, Med, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were given opportunity to bow down and worship this golden image. And they said, King, we're not going to do it. He was furious. He gave them another opportunity because he knew their impact upon his, his uh, kingdom. They were trusted servants of his. He gave them another opportunity and became irate when they, they refused. And they simply said, Lord, we know. We know that the God who we serve is able to deliver us. But if not, we're still not going to bow down. And if you remember in the fiery furnace, there was one with them like unto the Son of God. So Paul understood this, and so he wasn't discouraged when he was um, imprisoned. And, and if you read through 2 Corinthians 11, you'll see how many trials that this man had gone through. Well, the next thing he says in um, chapter 4, Verse 1 is, I beseech you. And the word beseech is not a command. We have a lot of commands in the Bible. And when we see what God says for us to do, he expects us to do it. But remember, he always gives us enablement. As we were going through Ephesians 1 through 3, seeing this, our position. But he ends chapter 3 of Ephesians with, Now to him who is able, verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. See, God enables us to be able to do his will through the Spirit of God. Verse 16 tells us that we're strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. So he's beseeching them. He's not commanding them. I want you to do this voluntarily, of your own free will, because you've seen in the first chapters of Ephesians, all that I provided for you. Uh, Peter tells us that um, he's given to us great and precious promises, that we might be partakers of the divine nature and we escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. So he's urging them, would you be willing, because of all I've done for you and all the truths you've just seen, would you walk worthy? 
So it's, it's much like in Romans chapter 12, and if you would turn there, he uses the same word. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore. Again, that word therefore is there because it, it relates back to things that have just been shared. In this case, the first 11 chapters. That's the positional section of Romans. Then starting with chapter 12, you get into the practical section, how to apply the word that you've been shared. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So he, he goes before them, much like the apostle Paul did with Philemon. If you remember, Philemon had this slave who um, was unfaithful and no doubt stole something, he ran off, but he meets Paul in Rome. And he comes to trust Christ as a savior. And Paul says, you need to go back to your master. And Paul writes to Philemon and says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, same word as beseech, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So he's urging, appealing to, beseeching, Philemon, just as he beseeches us, that we present. That means to yield or to put at the disposal of. God wants us to, to be like one who's, who's kneeling down before his master, just waiting for the master to say, this is what I have you to do. This is where I want you to go. This is what I would have you to do. Um, keep your finger here, but turn back to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Paul writing about um, what's taking place, our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. When Christ died, we died. When Christ was risen, we arose to newness of life. And so he's saying, verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon, count to be true what is true. You've died to sin because Christ has died to sin. You've been separated from sin's authority in your life. Uh, verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Sin no longer has the legal right to, to be our master. It's foolish to now yield to the flesh, to yield to sin. So likewise, you also count to be true what is true, that you're dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should reign or should obey it in its lusts. And do not present, that's the same word here as in chapter 12. It's the same word as yield. Don't yield yourself. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You have choices to make. And in reality, when we think of freedom, Christ has freed us from sin. But in reality, the true freedom we have is, to, is the freedom of choice to choose who we're going to serve. Because either you're going to serve Christ or you're going to serve sin. What choice are you going to choose? And serving Christ is obviously to our benefit as we yield to him and, and we're his instrument in his hand.
to do his righteous work. And he says, do it as a living sacrifice, um, as opposed to the animal sacrifices of the past, uh, because he has quickened us, he's made us alive, placed us together with Christ. And then he goes on in verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's a command. This is not a beseeching. The command is stop being conformed. Because the world will use its pressure. Satan knows how to use the pressure of the world to force you into its mold, into its pattern. He does it very effectively. Does it with our peers? Does it in our job? Does it with threats? Does it with television? Does it with the movies? Does it with um, many other means? And so if we don't have the mind of Christ, if we aren't renewed, and that's what told us in verse 1, um, that it's our reasonable service to, to submit to the Lord. It's our only logical thing to do because otherwise we will be conformed to the world and we'll think like the world. And how many students have enjoyed the Lord in their early years have gone off to college, gone on to some other um, learning institution and their minds have been totally changed, transformed, conformed to this world. But the Lord wants us instead um, in 1 Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts and your ignorance. See, before I was saved, I was 24 years old when I came to know the Lord. And I lived like um, an unsaved person would live. And an unsaved person does one thing really well. It's sin. And whether it was outwardly, because many people thought I was a good person, they were wrong. And I thought I was a good person. I was wrong. I thought if I did enough good, that would cover my bad. But when I was introduced to the word of God, and I saw my condition, instead of comparing myself with people, I compared myself to the Lord. And I saw that I was dead in trespasses and sins. I saw that I was justly condemned to hell. We're told in the word of God, he that believes in Christ is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. And so there I was, condemned. And yet, what did God promise? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I saw that John 3.16 applied to me. For God so loved me, Brian that he gave as a gift his only begotten son. That if I would believe in him, I would not perish, but have everlasting life. Have, present tense, right now. And so I trusted the Lord that day, and then I understood as I started reading the word of God, and by the way, um, if you read God's word and you don't understand it the first time through, keep reading, keep meditating. Um, when I first got saved, I circled a lot of verses in, in there and said, boy, I, I just don't understand these. 
But the more I kept coming out and hearing the word of God and reading, I went back to read those portions and they weren't a problem anymore because I was growing in, in an understanding of who the Lord was and what he did. But in Ephesians 2.10 tells us, then after we're saved, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So God didn't save us just to be bumps on a log, bump on a pickle sitting out there somewhere and, and um, sitting in a lazy boy. God has work for us to do. He has a job for each believer to do. That's why he saved us back in Ephesians chapter 1. It says he chose us that we might be holy and without blame before him in love, that he has a life for us to live and a, and a purpose for us being here. So don't let Satan um, and the world system conform you into um, acting and, and being like the world. But that transformation that takes place, it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a passive work. You don't work to change yourself. You spend time with the Lord. You begin to enjoy him, enjoy his word, and then he does the work. He does the changing as we rest in him. It's the same word as metamorphosis. Just as a caterpillar is changed into a butterfly, it's a continual change inside out. So it's God who does a work in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Just like Paul said in Galatians, my little children, for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. That's what Christ is doing now. He's transforming us until the image of Christ can be seen in us. And sometimes he does that through trials and hardships, through difficulties. That's how we get to we get spiritual muscles. Bodily exercise profits a little bit. And some of us could use a little bit more bodily exercise, I admit to that. But godliness is profitable for all things now and for all eternity. So we need to build up our spiritual muscles, and God does that through trials and difficulties in our life. Job. Job wasn't tried because he was a great sinner. Consider my servant Job. And the Lord led him to go through those trials. But when he came forth as gold. And that's what the Lord does with us. And that transformation process begins as we need to, as we learn to trust him more and more. We're told, trust in the Lord with all our heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. So, again, that transformation is, is a process that starts from the inside out. It's, a, it's an interchange. It begins with the mind. What you think about is absolutely uh, important, um, imperative. Because as you think in your mind, so are you. Because your mind determines how you act and react. Proverbs 4 says, Keep thy heart, thy mind, with all diligence, for all of it spring forth the issues of life. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you then be risen with Christ, and you are, if you're saved, set your affections, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And then it's renewed in Ephesians 4. We're told, put off the old man, put on the new man, but in between those two um, commands, it's be renewed in your mind. And that renewal takes place as we put the word of God and we meditate on it, we concentrate on it, we enjoy it, and it pushes out that which is wrong and replaces it which is right. So, and you bring every thought 
into obedience to the captivity of Christ. And so we often have fortresses built up in our minds. We have little dark closets in our minds. Well, the Lord can touch this area of my life, this area of my thought life, but there's things that I just, I just love too much and, and I, I want to hold back on, on the Lord um, dealing with those areas because I don't want to change in those areas. Those are areas that I love too much, whether it's things that I use with the eye gate, the ear gate, whatever. We're told, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And all those things are passing away. But is there something in there that, that your body loves, that you just love to see and, and, and want to, to have, and you're not satisfied until you get it, and then find out once you get it, you're not satisfied anyway? Or the pride of life, you want people to acknowledge you. You want people to think really well of you. Uh, just listening on um, the way over here, Warren Wiersbe was speaking on Ananias and Sapphira. The greatest sin is pride. God has to do with pride in our lives. We need to be humbled. And so that's what God is doing with us. And, and when we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, as we change our thinking then it's going to change everything in our lives around us. And therefore, by yielding to Christ, his perfect will is made known. So, Amos tells us, can two walk together except they be agreed? No. But Enoch, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Uh, Enoch is an example of, of believers today. We're living in an ungodly society. He was living in the pre-flood um, Society that was so uncorrupt, ungodly. But even in those conditions, Enoch walked with God. He had fellowship with God. And we can as well. And then he's an example of the rapture. God took him. Now, that might be the case with our generation. It, it would appear it could be very soon. It could be, well, we're all sitting here today, couldn't it? There's no sign, there's no incident that needs to take place. But as, as we see in the future, uh, someone's explained it this way. If you're looking forward to Thanksgiving and they start putting up Christmas decorations in October, so you're seeing all the signs of Christmas, but of course Christmas comes after Thanksgiving, right? And so you're seeing all the signs of Christmas in the stores and and, and yet we know that Thanksgiving will come first. We know it's got to be very near. We see all the signs out there of things happening that's setting up the pattern for the tribulation, for the time when Antichrist will be revealed, when, when we see that, that it's moving towards one world government, one world monetary system, how everything is, you know, Paul warns Timothy, that men will be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God, deceitful, corrupt, um, disobedient to parents, truce breaker. All these things, we see it's, that it's on the horizon that's being set up for this. But before the tribulation is the rapture. We're not going to go through the tribulation. Isn't that great news? Paul encouraged the Thessalonians, 
he saved you from the wrath to come. They knew they were already saved from eternal wrath by trusting Christ. And so all the trials they were going through, he says, they were actually, they received the word of God in much affliction, and they were being crushed, just like grapes flowing out. And he said, I told you that affliction is coming, and it has come. Don't be surprised. But your confidence is in the fact that you've been saved from that wrath to come. You don't have to worry about it. And that's one of the great passages on the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that the Lord is going to send from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive um, are going to go up together with him in the air forever to be like the, with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 says we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So Enoch is a great example to us to walk by faith, walk and join the Lord in, in this very difficult time. Then Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Perfect doesn't mean he was sinless. Perfect means he was a man of integrity. He was a man who was willing to, to want to be clean and right before the Lord. And so Noah is, is one that was saved through that great disaster of the flood. He's likened to... to Believers in the tribulation who will be saved in their physical bodies to enter into the, the kingdom. And we have Abraham. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Abraham is an example of someone coming to faith in Christ. He's the illustration of faith in Christ alone. Remember, in Romans chapter 4, it talks about the fact that, but to him who does not work, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is put to his account for righteousness. That was Abraham. He believed the Lord, and it was, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So therefore, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ? It's all of grace. But you had to reach out by faith and claim that. Now, before I was saved, I would have said I believed in, in Christ. But if you would have asked me, do you know for sure you have eternal life? I would have said, I hope so. I, I, I think so. I really hope so, but I didn't know. Because really, my faith was not in Christ, but in myself, religious works, what I could do. But when I saw that I was hopeless and helplessly lost, I claimed God's promise, and he says that these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. So my challenge for you today is I don't know most of you, do you know positively that you have eternal life? Because when God promises something, he doesn't go back on his word. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they'll never perish. See, that's what gives us confidence to live for the Lord. Confidence that, that again, in our position, we're accepted, we're loved, we're saved. In, you saw in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, the moment you trusted Christ, 
you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that will be till the day of redemption when, our, when he takes our, our, our bodies, a brand new body, a glorious body, and, and unites it with, with our soul in heaven for all eternity. And so we receive Christ by faith. How are you to walk and live? You're to walk by faith. So we walk by faith and not by sight. To understand the gospel is, is absolutely important, imperative again, because if you don't understand that you are saved by grace, totally apart from yourself, you're going to have a difficulty and struggle living the Christian life, walking the worthy walk, because you're going to get involved. You're going to do things in the flesh. You're going to think, well, look at I've read how many verses in the Bible today. Look at how much time I've spent in prayer. Look at the money I gave. Look at I did this. So now, God, look at I did. Now you bless me. And that's a totally wrong approach. The approach is we love him because he first loved us. The love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ motivates us. The, the love of Christ, it, the word talks about keeping you in a, a channel, like between two mountain passes, and keeping going one direction. That's what the love of Christ does. The love for God does. We, we are motivated because of his great love and his grace and that he's provided for us. So the word walk is really uh, a wonderful word. Peripateo. Paul uses it 33 times. Do you ever notice when you take a step, you're off balance? And you're assuming that when that foot comes down, it's going to come down on solid ground. Now, I hate to say this, but if it doesn't come down on solid ground, you're going to end up like my wife. She fell down the last two steps of the basement stairs, broke three bones in her ankle about a year ago, and she's still recovering from that. might have something to do with our age that we heal slower, but no, it's a, it's a terrible thing to break these three bones in, in your ankle. But... We're assuming that we're going to come down on a solid foundation. See, that's why our faith needs an object. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in ourselves. It's faith in the word of God, that living word, that word that was in the beginning with God that became flesh and dwelt among us, the living word. And so when our foundation is, is the Lord and his word, when we take a step, we're going to come down on on um, firm footing. So it's, it's not a leap into the dark. That's not what faith is at all. It's a step into the light. So just real quickly in, in closing, I just want to relate back to the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk says, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith, which results in faithful living. So in Romans chapter 1, after he goes through and says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, therein is written, the just shall live by faith. So only those that are declared righteous are just, are able to live by faith. It tells us that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans um, 8.4 talks about that the very requirements, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk 
not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so only those that are justified, declared righteous by faith, can live the life God wants them to live. Then in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, he tells us that cursed is everyone that continues not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It's evident for the just shall live by faith. Um, turn quickly with me to Galatians chapter 3. And he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth or clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? See, if we start setting up these rules and regulations in our lives, and there's some that um, say, um, boy, if, if you don't persevere to the end, if you don't live a, a godly life all the way through after you get saved, you never were saved at all. They don't understand sin because we sin daily, thought, word, and deed. And so it's not a legal system. Uh, the challenge in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and, and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Christ has made us free. He's given us liberty, not, um, well, chapter 5, verse 13. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So it's not a legalistic system, but it's not just a, a liberty, a license to, to live as you want to, because as a believer, you'll never lose your salvation. But when you sin, you don't get away with your sin. The Lord chastens and disciplines his children. And so we know that when he's made us free, it's, it's now we never could serve the Lord before when we were unsaved. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But now we have the freedom to live a life that's supernatural, guided by his word, empowered by his spirit. See, when you do things in the flesh, you know, that's why we don't tell an unbeliever to turn away from your sins. Because he can't. A leopard can't change his spots. Ethiopian can't change the color of his skin. No more can you who are evil begin to do good. There's none good, no, not one. And so what you tell them is you need to trust Christ. You need to see your sin. God knows all your sin. But you need to be forgiven. And when you are, when you turn to Christ, you, you will be forgiven, cleansed, declared righteous by faith. Because Christ has finished the work. He said it. It's paid in full. It's done. It's finished. And so then in Hebrews chapter 10, um, we'll close by turning there. Hebrews chapter 10. And the encouragement is don't go back to the old system you came out of. Hebrews is warning these believers, don't go back into ritual. Don't go back into the Judaistic system of, of sacrificial um, sacrifices and so on. Uh, don't go back to whatever denominational religion you were in that had a works-based salvation. Don't go back to that. And so you're going to, verse 32, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, your eyes were open, 
and you endured a, endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. Everyone was looking at what was taking place and, and seeing what was happening in your life, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, because you were identified with them as well. For you had compassion on me and in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. What wouldn't you be willing to give up down here? Because everything you see down here is going to be burned up anyway. You're not going to carry it out with you. There's no trailers behind a hearse. He said you were willing to, to, get, to use your possessions to let, and, and that's what was happening in Jerusalem. When you became a believer, you'd lose your job. You'd, you'd have your possessions confiscated. But understand there's an, a better position, a better possession in heaven. So verse 35, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, patience, to put yourself under that trial without telling God there's a time limit. You've got to get me out of this now but you're willing to endure knowing that the Lord is in control. Don't cast away your confidence. It has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Christ is coming, and when he comes, his reward is with him. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So, no matter what trial or difficulty you're facing, what's happening in your life, remember that you have great possession, um, possessions in heaven. Uh, Moses was willing to forsake the pleasures of sin down here because he looked to the reward. He saw that he endured seeing him who was invisible. So I trust that you'd want to walk the worthy walk. Get to know who you are. Get to know Christ like, so that when you take a step, it's in the direction God wants you to. And if it's not like on a bicycle, if you head out in one direction, how easy is it to turn one way or the other? And so if we go in one direction that we really believe is God's will and we're relying upon him, trusting him, enjoying him, he can change our directions. He can easily move us so. But the key is we need to step out by faith and we begin to know him, hear the word, and become doers of the word, not hearers only beholding our natural face in a mirror and going our own way, but instead looking in that mirror and seeing what we're really like and knowing that we need to trust the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for all that you do for us and continue to do. Thank you that we do have such great and wonderful promises that we might claim them and through your divine nature, through the Spirit of God within us, begin to utilize all of our possessions. In Christ's name we pray, amen.